Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Wu Jin Ho, Senior Hardware and Networking Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. And in today's episode, my special guest is Mahesh Saptarishi, CTO of Motorola Solution. Hello, Mahesh, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Wu Jin. Thank you for having me. Now, before we kick things off, I've been actually been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time now, because I think what Motorola Solutions is doing is really underappreciated by the investment community, in particular tech analysts. I want to first get this out of the way. Uh, Motorola Solutions that I have here is not the mobile phone company that sold the iconic flip phone. Well, bad news, that business was sold a long time ago, along with its uh, home network and set-up business to Google back in 2012. Now, Quite frankly, I think the Motorola Solutions story is much more exciting today than the smartphone section. How I view Motorola Solutions is very, very simple. It's Apple's iPhone business, Oracle SAP's ERP business, Salesforce.com's CRM business, and Google Cloud Amazon Web Services all rolled up into one. With all of these businesses still in the early days. Now, since we cater to a financial audience, I want to share a few metrics. Motorola Solutions is on pace to be a $10 billion revenue company in 2023, and is one of the few companies in the hardware sector poised to grow in the face of a weak-to-down economy. Now, for those who are somewhat familiar with Motorola, Land Mobile Radio, LMR, is the largest portion of sales, but with its video security business growing at a double-digit rate. And both businesses are a foundation for a software and application sales opportunity that didn't really exist in the past. Uh, now, Mahesh is tasked to lay out and execute the technology vision for the company by leveraging the product portfolio and to create new products, which seems to be an exciting and huge undertaking. Now, Mahesh, thanks again for being on the show. I like to kick off my conversations uh, with what I call the elevator pitch. So can you share with us uh, Motorola Solutions uh, elevator pitch? So simply put, our mission is to keep communities safe and enterprises secure. And we do that by focusing on two areas that are related. The first is public safety. The second is enterprise security. And for both of those areas, we have three core technology areas that we focus on that compose the solution for public safety and enterprise security. The first is mission-critical communications. That is where Motorola has been historically strong. It has been core to our product offering. This includes both narrowband and broadband push-to-talk and data services. And we are the market leader in LMR. The second area is command center software. This includes all the elements, all the software elements, starting from the 911 call that is placed all the way to case closure, where evidence is gathered and it's presented for investigation and prosecution as appropriate. 60% of the public safety answering points or call centers out there use at least one element of our command center software solution today. The third area is video security and access control. This includes fixed video cameras, CCTV cameras in some parlance. It includes body-worn cameras. It includes ALPR, automatic license plate recognition cameras, both the mobile and fixed. And it includes in-car video cameras as well. And for all of those devices, we have on-premises and cloud-hosted software to manage and help with workflows that are associated with video in those platforms. Access control, very similar story for us. It is on-prem devices, card readers, video devices at the edge, et cetera, both on-premises software, access control management software, and cloud-hosted uh, software. In North America, we're number two, and we're rapidly gaining share. 
We entered the command center software space with the acquisition of Spillman in 2015. We entered the video security and access control space with the acquisition of Avigilon in 2018. And since then, since 2015, we've grown our TAM by a factor of four. So we're today uh, at a TAM of about $50 billion. And I think what makes us very unique is the fact that we bridge enterprise security with public safety. The breadth of our solutions, both in enterprise security and in public safety, allow us to bring those two elements together to facilitate better and faster incident response. And that bridge really is the substrate of innovation that is disruptive to this market and one that we're quite excited about. So so there's actually a lot, lot there, right? So, so you're talking about LMR, you're talking about fixed edge video, command and control, you have this whole software vision that's laid out. I want to frame our discussion in, in two ways, right? Let's start from a dev device and product level, and then let's move on to a workflow level, right? So so you mentioned uh, LMR, land mo mobile radio, and, and people who are familiar with Motorola solutions really know you as, as a radio business. You talked about the narrow band and broadband, you know, by my metrics, or LMR is about $4.5 billion from, from a product standpoint, uh, another $2.3 billion on a services perspective and on an annualized basis. I feel that Motorola is on the cusp of a product innovation cycle helped by a broadband public safety network, right? You talked about narrowband, you talked about broadband. Can you just talk about this product transition and some of the innovations that you can uh, bring forward? So in your intro, you sort of compared us to Apple in some ways, and you know, Apple introduced the iPhone 14 last year. And one of the elements of the iPhone 14 was the ability to, to send emergency texts through satellite comms. And we, have, we see other uh, mobile phone manufacturers and also carriers starting to support some of that as well. The reason I mentioned that is in times of emergency, the resiliency and the ability to communicate is absolutely paramount. Whether you are in an urban setting, whether you are in the middle of nowhere with a clear view of the sky, or whether you're in the basement of a building, you need to be able to communicate. And that is the area that we specialize in, that we focus in. So the combination of our LMR, narrowband, and LTE, broadband solutions, really in one device, is what gives us that resiliency and that availability to give first responders the comfort that regardless of where they are, what they're doing, the nature of the environment, we have a rugged and available device to cater to their needs. So that is core to the LMR story. Today, we have about 13,000 sites globally that use our LMR devices. These devices typically are refreshed every seven years. And very recently, we introduced the Apex Next device, which is our next generation converged radio device, which includes LMR and LTE within the same form factor. It is effectively an IoT device. It is cloud managed. It has an application ecosystem that, that surrounds it. And much like we introduced the Apex Next solution in North America, really catering to the P25 standard. The P25 standard is, is the LMR standard for North America. We also introduced the MXP family of devices for the European and international markets that cater to the Tetra, the terrestrial uh, radio standard for the European market. Again, both of those are effectively Android devices that combine narrowband and LTE that can be cloud managed, that can support a fairly broad application ecosystem. And within that ecosystem, it gives our customers a level of comfort that the solution that they're adopting is future-proof. And as with many uh, products in the 
past that have transitioned from strictly being on-prem or standalone to really a cloud-based internet-connected device. The refresh frequency of both the device and the applications that run on it now increases or shortens quite dramatically. And so I think that is the part that gives us a fair amount of excitement in terms of what we can do in terms of layered on services on top of this new family of devices, including new innovations that, that we can bring to uh, the forefront. An important point on our example of the resiliency that we offer, when Hurricane Ian hit Florida, some of the sites right. for our customers actually lost power. But our LMR network was able to automatically fail over into the cloud. And first responders had complete continuity in terms of what they were able to do as they were helping the public through all the emergencies that were happening then. That is the level of capability, both resiliency and availability in a modern form factor, given whatever conditions you're operating in. That is the innovation that we have really advanced and we are the market leader. We're number one in that space. Got it. So, so just to clarify, if we think about narrowband versus broadband and the work that I've been doing, narrowband, let's just think about voice. Broadband, let's think about more app-based database. And I, and I think in my conversations with investors, I almost get the sense that people dismiss the voice aspect of it. And that is very, very critical for, for first responders, correct? Absolutely. And by the way, narrowband is predominantly voice, but very critically mm. on, through narrowband, we also transmit the metadata like location. So it is right. very important to know where first responders are because that really is what informs dispatchers and also is very critical for the safety of the first responders. So narrowband is more than just the voice element, but is a very critical element of everything that happens as the first responder is responding and is also very important in terms of the safety of that first responder. So that's where the IoT aspect comes along on the narrowband side. But at, at the same time, my understanding is that public safety personnel have a dual device strategy, one for voice and one for broadband, right? Because we, we know that FirstNet, the AT&T FirstNet network and Verizon uses their 4G, 5G network as part of the first responders. So is, is the Apex Next opportunity, as well as the, the Tetra opportunity, being a all-in-one device opportunity going forward? I think there's always going to be room for a dual device play based upon, you know, there, there are agencies out there who are handing out iPhones, for example, uh, mm -hmm. to their first responders. And there are a unique set of applications that the iPhone and, and other Android devices can run that are particularly suited for those types of devices. And by the way, we have uh, within the command center software, we do have a family of applications, mobile applications specifically that caters to that. The Apex Next device, by the way, is FirstNet compatible to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it also supports very dedicated capabilities like smart mapping, smart locate, location being an important element of this, and smart messaging. These are abilities where we can automatically flip between modes of operation where LTE is available, Perhaps LTE is not available, but LMR is available in those cases. These are capabilities where we offer a greater degree of resilience. So there are certain applications that I think require the ability to work even when perhaps LTE is not accessible in any given location. So that's where the dual device strategy goes away in favor of a converged device. Not to say that the, the iPhone doesn't have continued value in those cases, but it actually adds to the value of what uh, our converged devices offer in both of these cases. The uh, MXP device that I mentioned previously for the Tetra market is actually a, a stock Android device. It's an Android 11 device with, with applications that can actually be in, installed on that, that converged device as well. Got it. So, so you actually said a very key word, applications, right? And then this is something that we don't associate 
to Motorola solutions. And, and, and I find it analogous to when LTE came on board, how the app ecosystem for the iPhone really start to skyrocket. Is there an app opportunity for Motorola solutions as well? I think there absolutely is. And we are introducing applications into our device ecosystem at this point. By the way, both, we, we, want to, we want to be able to support our devices. We also want to support perhaps iPhones and other devices that are out there that you know, many of our first responders want to use as well. But at the end of the day, the core value is there's continuity of workflow across those devices. So just like you, know, you have Apple continuity and handoffs that you're very familiar with, our users are very much wanting the same type of experience with our devices. And so we bring that resilience, but we also bring that flexibility and that there's a continuity of operation that's data centric and all that lends itself into an application ecosystem play. You're absolutely right. And then I think one of the early selling points, quite frankly, on an application perspective has to be a MDM, better known as mobile device management. I mean, this is where you yes. come into the enterprise world. If, if you have an ecosystem, yeah. let's just say the New York City Police Department has roughly, let's say, 30,000 devices, right? Yes. And that used to be manually updated one at a time. That's got to be an easy sell for someone like that and, and, and licensable on a regular basis. Absolutely. And also think about, you know, as, as cybersecurity risks and such increase, uh, you know, these devices tend to favor encrypted communication. And imagine the ability to do things like certificate and key rotation remotely and be able to respond to vulnerabilities and other threats, cybersecurity threats that may be placed upon a public safety agency. I think those are things that are capable with a more structured enterprise MDM type strategy that you're alluding to that now we are capable of doing with these modern devices, the next evolution of the devices. But that's just scratching the surface in terms of what is capable, the ability to push applications, the, the ability to push permissions, the ability to potentially disable devices if they fall into the wrong hands. Simple things like that really sort of start to increase the applicability of this cloud-connected, remotely managed device. Fair to say, given that these uh, broadband devices are still in the nascent stages, the app opportunity is also in the nascent, nascent stages for you guys as well? So we are definitely in the early stages of the refresh cycle. I think we're, we have had some pretty significant wins of late with the Apex Next solution. And on the heels of that, we are actively prioritizing those applications for development that our customers are most interested in. We have started with a base of applications, just like uh, I think all the Android and the iOS manufacturers outside. We are now growing that ecosystem and we are in the early stages of that ecosystem. So let's shift over to fixed video. Uh, so when I went through your bio, uh, you joined Motorola Solutions through the Vigilant acquisition, which was the big video surveillance security application. Why is fixed video so relevant to Motorola Solutions? And, and what are you able to deliver and, and could deliver in the future that the Vigilant couldn't do as a standalone company? Yeah, so even prior to the acquisition of a Vigilant, Motorola Solutions was involved in the video security space. City of Chicago is a great example. We deployed and managed their video network across the city. There were, I think, two things that were happening around the time frame of the acquisition that were sort of key to the decision to acquire a Vigilant. The first was that there was a strong preference on the part of state, local, and federal government entities to favor non-Chinese vendors for both cameras and software. The second was that AI was rapidly maturing for video, so specifically video analytics, AI applied to video was rapidly maturing, creating new possibilities for security applications with video and with access control. 
Abidjan at that time and continues today to be predominantly a North America manufactured product. We have manufacturing in Canada and we have manufacturing in the U.S. Abidjan is the, the market leader when it comes to video analytics. Both of those were sort of the key inspirations for, for Motorola Solutions saying, and now's the time to get into this space by acquiring Abidjan. Now, what Avigilon was able to gain from this acquisition, probably three, three very important things. First is Avigilon was primarily an enterprise and commercial play. We did not have much access to the state, local, or federal government market. Uh, Motorola Solutions uniquely gave Avigilon that access. So that was probably the first most important thing. The second is the ability to invest both organically and inorganically to grow the portfolio rapidly. So as the world was was trying to move away from some of the manufacturers that dominated, primarily Asian manufacturers that dominated before 2018, to now a world in a national defense authorization bill world where there's a reduced importance placed on uh, Asian manufactured uh, cameras and devices, there was a wish there to really sort of broaden that portfolio rapidly and gain market share. So right after the acquisition of Avigilon, Motorola acquired Indigo Vision to, to really broaden our international presence. Uh, we acquired OpenPath to give us cloud-based access control. Ava to give us cloud-hosted video security as a service capabilities. Palco, which is a, was a storied brand in the video space with some presence in transportation and government verticals that previously Avigilon did not have a strong presence in. That came into the fold. Video tech, which is for oil and gas type of infrastructure where you had intrinsically safe, explosion-proof devices. Bringing all of that together, it gave us the breadth of a portfolio across all the different needs in key verticals where we were able to gain market share rapidly. And that's really one of the things that, that has driven this, this rapid double-digit growth, 20% plus growth in the video space for us. So that that's what I think Motorola brought to a Vigilot. And I would say the last and the third important point, which I mentioned in the elevator pitch, was one of the key areas where we are actively innovating is really bringing together enterprise security with public safety. So imagine an active shooter scenario in a school. The time to respond is absolutely key. And previously, we, we had vendors who really had security systems and access control systems within the school, and then public safety was, was separate. And there was a 911 call that was perhaps initiated, a response that followed. And those two systems, the public safety uh, software systems and the enterprise security systems really didn't speak to each other. So the intelligence, the knowledge, and the and the ability to take advantage of an understanding of what is happening, the situational intelligence wasn't readily available to public safety and, and really dragging out the response time. What we're able to do, because we have presence in both places, is now really to bring that together more effectively. In our recent acquisition of RAVE, mass notification, also now it helps us notify everybody on site that something important is happening. We have a solution called Orchestrate as part of our safety reimagine effort that can say, I detect this with AI on video. I'm going to now trigger a lockdown in the school. I'm going to lock the door so that no one else can enter these facilities. I can now trigger an event automatically to public safety, whether that's a 911 command center or a real-time command center within an agency. They know what is happening. The application, the wave application that each of the users has on premises, not only gives them a notification of what's happening, but also gives public safety an idea of where people are within the facility. So it gives them critical location information as well. So now response is informed. And I think that is the third element of what Motorola Solutions brought 
to the Vigilant story is really connecting public safety more deeply with enterprise security. No one else really does this, and that gives us that unique ability to disrupt the space. Well, what I'm hearing is, is that you're actually doing not only the, the integration work of all the M&A, but also creating new extended ecosystems beyond what you have currently. Where are we in, in terms of the integration, number one? And number two, where are we in terms of the new product introductions and, and, and designs based on your imagination, quite frankly, on, on what you can create? By the way, we've been very strategic and very careful in the acquisitions that uh, we have made. The, the goal here is not just to integrate, but really to bring together solutions that can be unified as one solution as quickly as possible post-acquisition. So our Video security solution is very tightly integrated with our access control, both the Vigilon access control solution and also the open path uh, solution. So what I mentioned in terms of initiating a lockdown based upon a detected event and a verified event can do that now. Notification can be sent to all our radio users, uh, school resource officers and other entities that may be on premises, giving them the notification, giving them the information they need to, to react today. That, that is available today. And with the RAVE acquisition, we have now connected the location and critical pieces of information about what is happening on site to the local 911 uh, command center. And that is available today. So the resources show up on a map, the conditions show up on the map, command center aware is integrated with all the video feeds on site. So a public safety agency can now look into that video and see what is happening and be able to guide and direct responders appropriately. That is still scratching the surface. There is more here that we can do. And today, this, this sort of API level integration really gives us the capability to execute on the basic use cases that we think should have already been implemented, but because no one entity had the ability to bring this together, it hasn't been done previously, but now we're able to do it and it has been done. Now it's our time to go to the next set of use cases where we can now enhance this into a further ecosystem of capabilities. And that is where, that is the journey that we're embarking on now, really bringing in dispatch closer to what, what we're doing, record solutions where data, the video that is recorded on site can power the narrative that the, office, the officer has to author post-incident, evidentiary data, not just body-worn camera-based evidence, but really bringing in evidentiary data from the fixed video family of products, access logs from access control, and all the other different elements of data that are collected during the process of the incident response. We're now able to bring that into a digital evidence management platform more automatically without having to have this notion of this is a silo that somebody now has to plug in a USB drive into, copy stuff, and then move it on to another place. And there's a chain of evidence requirement that sits behind it. We take away some of those barriers by really creating the integrated story that is to come. That is really the direction in which we're going. And we're in the early stages of doing that next level set of use cases to integrate enterprise security with public safety. And I suspect, especially with Chinese vendors locked out, right, in, in the U.S. in terms of the hardware perspective, and I highly doubt public entities are going to use Chinese software, I have to imagine that you're probably the only company out in the U.S. and in Western Europe that has a scale to effectively deliver a hardware software, AI, ML, end-to-end solutions. Is, is that fair to say? That is incredibly fair to say. I think we are, in fact, the only ones who have that, that breadth of products that satisfy all the regulatory cons considerations and the workflow and use case considerations for both enterprise security and public safety in a way where we, the bridging is actually even 
possible or feasible. And from a customer perspective, and then I'm sure that you meet the CTOs of public safety entities as well. How many of those understand the value prop that you guys are offering? I think many of our recent customer wins, uh, I think last year we talked about one of our customers, the city of Yonkers, that, that yep. deployed all of our solu the solutions. They adopted pretty much every piece of our portfolio, ranging from the fixed video side of things all the way to the command center software and the LMR mm. uh, side of things. They chose Motorola because they brought into the vision of all these products really being unified. Right. So uh, they had the capacity of seeing some of these elements integrated if they went with multiple vendors. But that integration, it wouldn't have resulted in the type of use case manifestations that we can now produce because we actually have the ability to control the APIs across that entire ecosystem of products that they bought from us. So they bought into that vision. We see more of that happening going forward. I think, again, it's as we have Yonkers, as we have other customers who, who are talking about the power of what they're seeing. I think that knowledge, that uh, sort of uh, visibility into this this ecosystem vision, I think that's becoming more common now. And, and actually, this is a good segue to command and control, command center. And, and as I said in, in my prepared remarks, Motorola command and control business is similar to Salesforce.com and CRM and Oracle SAP and ERP in the early days. Could you just walk us through the market dynamics? How fragmented is this market today and how large is this market? Yeah, so this is, it's actually quite a fragmented market as a whole. I think starting from emergency call handling, that is where there was perhaps more standardization, at least across North America, in terms of software families, that, uh, less fragmentation perhaps than, than in some of the other areas. But next generation core services, which is the step be, uh, before the, uh, the emergency call handling piece, where... When you place a call on your cell phone to 911, knowing where you are, because your area code may not really map to where you are physically at this moment and making a call, but to route that call to the right 911 call center, that is NGCS. And really the transition from what it was previously called selective routing, which is the technology that existed really in support of your POTS telephone infrastructure, wired telephone infrastructure, where your phone number mapped to an address, that transition is still in progress today. So NGCS is an area where we're investing heavily and NGCS more closely connected with emergency call handling. That is a significant area where I think we see, we see a fair amount of progress. NGCS has been fragmented and that transition is now happening into more sort of dedicated geospatial routing solutions. Then you get to something like computer-aided dispatch. And this is the piece of software that once a call is made, a dispatcher at an agency says, these are the resources that I need to task to respond to this particular event based upon the nature of that event. That depends on the location of the units, understanding what their status is, etc. That computer-aided dispatch software, the history of it is one where many of those solutions were actually bespoke. So it was heavily customized per agency and for new entities who had more of a consolidated framework coming into the fray, needed the configuration flexibility in order to be able to account for the workflows that were largely bespoke, but also be able to generalize that into a product as opposed to a customized solution per agency. By virtue of that, the providers in that space were very fragmented. And what we see is an evolution now where given our ability to say, okay, despite the fact you have these bespoke workflows, we have the flexibility in our software to account for some of those workflows, but also elevate the solution to a more off-the-shelf product as opposed to a customized software solution. That is where we are with CAD solutions, and we're gaining market share as a consequence of that. That also remains somewhat of a fragmented market uh, as well. And lastly, 
records, which I think bears the closest similarity to an ERP slash CRM system, because every piece of data that is collected during a, an incident is really a record, a piece of information that is, that is digitally stored. That record was really in silos. So if, if you had radio traffic, it was stored in a separate bucket. If it was uh, video data, it was stored in a different bucket. Yeah. If an officer has a citation, a traffic violation or something like that, they re record on paper and then file a report after the fact that was in, in a separate bucket. Crime reports, incident reports also, uh, again, all were siloed and really have that custom software bespoke origin that I spoke about previously. That is now evolving into one solution where data is now being consolidated. It is being centralized. And when Salesforce came into play, Oracle, SAP came into play, the core value proposition was to take this sort of highly fragmented data sources, silo data sources, and bring them together. And when that data is brought together, to unify applications and workflows on top of that becomes much easier. And today, our focus with records in particular, is to bring data, bring all incident data into one platform and add applications that are workflow-centric on top of it that connect to 911, that connect to dispatch, and lastly, connect to digital evidence management, where di digital evidence is really, in many ways, a subset of your records platform, where some of that evidence is used for prosecution, thus is marked as evidence. So that all in together has been a very fragmented market because Different vendors catered to different portions of this and catered to it in different ways. Integration was very loose. What we have done is come in with data platform that, in fact, is common across all these different pieces of solutions, 911, dispatch, records management, and digital evidence management, bringing that together from a data standpoint, and that now enabling our customers to realize the potential of saying, when a 911 call taker hands off an incident to a dispatcher, when the dispatcher hands off information to somebody who is in the field, a first responder, and all that data together becoming part of an evidentiary load that is used to investigate and prosecute after the fact, all of that workflow doesn't require a human to really be the one who connect one software system to the other, swivel chair integration as we call it, but really for it to be automated in the back end doesn't really take the time away from those first responders, those dispatchers, call takers from doing their job. That is the story that we're after. And I think we are evolving the industry in that direction. And the fragmentation is, is reducing, but we are still in a very fragmented space when it comes to command center software. And then what we want to hear integration, common data framework, and comparing yourselves, or I'm comparing you guys to, to Oracle, SAP, and Salesforce.com, I think of one, a cloud opportunity, right? And and two, also a SaaS model. Are, are those in the scope of opportunity for you guys? Absolutely. And I think as we spoke through some of our earnings calls last year as well, our strategy has been to take many of our customers who are currently very much on-premises with fair amount of data on-prem and really migrate them to the cloud on, in a hybrid way. So we create a continuity of compute infrastructure that can straddle on-premises and deployed in the cloud. And the continuity of compute infrastructure allows us to, over time, migrate those customers to either entirely in the cloud or some customers who have actually invested a fair amount in their own data center infrastructure. They can use a private cloud instance to be able to deploy that same solution. But we really want to meet our customers where they are. And we are, we are taking that totality of that solution 
and making it something where the customers can actually subscribe to that solution almost as a SaaS service, regardless of whether that's on-prem or in the cloud, giving them the entitlement to move as, as their needs change. Got it. All right. So, so Mahesh, throughout our discussion, you, you actually sprinkled in a lot of AI, ML in each of the sub-segments. And, and I, look, I know this is your passion. And I don't think investors view you as an AI ML company. How is Motorola Solutions implementing this? And, and, and are you able to monetize AI ML going forward? That's actually a great question. And one of the reasons why we don't, we don't sort of hype up the AI elements too much is because we consider that as an essential and key ingredient in almost every aspect of our solution. And let me start by offering you this one data point. And this is sort of a well-quoted data point. If you save 60 seconds, effectively a minute from an emergency response on average, you save 10,000 lives a year. That's the value of time in how that response happens. At the same time, you have experts, call takers, 911 call takers tend to be experts. Dispatchers tend to be experts. The first responders tend to be experts. Each of them are very much used to using certain sets of tools in certain ways. And so you cannot dramatically change the way any of these tools work without sort of taking your users along that journey of that evolution to make sure that they're comfortable with how the software changes to better accommodate them. So in order for us to really disrupt, really sort of say, we're in the business of saving lives. And so we want to make sure that we can compress that response time as much as possible. Taking the end-to-end solution and figuring out all the places where we can actually save time for our users and really spread it out long, it allows us to create a revolution in the entire solution with evolution in each of the bits. We incrementally shave off seconds from what a user does in each of these tools, but those seconds really add up to something very significant as a whole, and that's what creates the revolution. The way we're doing that is with AI, and we focus AI on really three elements. First, is we automate the mundane. And so think about this as on the video side, previously, if you think about a video command center, you can picture this huge wall of video where people are staring at like monitors with with video streams in each of those monitors. It's completely useless because after just 20 minutes of staring at video, we as humans become kind of immune to whatever is happening. There are studies that show a bear walking through the scene, a person dressed in a bear costume walking across the scene, and people completely miss it. And so we are not good at that detection task. AI is because AI it doesn't get bored. And so that detection task is simple enough. And with the advancement of AI, we can actually change that historically detection-oriented workflow to a verification-oriented workflow where AI can say, I'm going to tap you on the shoulders and say, look at this. We think it's important. Verify that it is actually important. And that what that does is it enables our, the, the users who are staring at video to not spend all their time on the detection task, which is 95% of the time, but really spend that 5% of the time verifying, which increases the number of cameras a single person can actually manage or account for. It increases the efficiency of doing that work, but actually increases the response time as well because they're just far more efficient in being able to carry out that, that workflow. That's just the video side. The next part with command center software is this notion of filling out forms. Filling out forms is probably the things that consumes 30% or more of every officer, EMT, firefighter's time out there. And oftentimes they're entering the same information over and over and over again. And this is where the having a common data platform, the records platform really comes into play. In many cases, we can leverage AI with natural language understanding 
to fill out many of those forms automatically. We launched a capability called Smart Transcription for our emergency call handling software, where we transcribe what a caller is saying and what a call taker is saying in real time. But more than the transcription, we're able to understand the language of what is being said to pick out things like addresses, pick out things like names, license plate number, descriptions of things, symptoms, and keywords that, that an agency can, can define. We can pick these elements out automatically, match that along with a form that perhaps call taker is filling as they're helping the person through whatever crisis that is happening, it saves them precious time. So that the, the ability for us to take the natural language understanding and take away a good chunk, 30% in this case, of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis, that is significant in terms of what we can save in terms of time. And the last part is when you think about officers sort of authoring reports, crime reports and such after an incident, we have to look at multiple sources of information. They have to look at what they wrote down during witness interviews. They have to look at the conversation that they had with dispatchers, with others on their radio. They have to look at what's on their body-worn camera, perhaps on their in-car video, et cetera. And they have to author that report. And something that sort of takes a lot of time is verifying the accuracy of what they have written down. And in many cases, if something is wrong, for them to go back and make a correction, right? So think about it as today, many times these reports get authored in Microsoft Word or, or some other word processing tool, which perhaps makes sure that you don't make spelling errors and, and your grammar is roughly okay, but no other way make sure that that report is authored correctly. Our ability to leverage AI to understand the content of what we see in video, the language that was used to describe something during witness interviews, transcribing all the audio, bringing all those pieces together and really offering that autocorrect functionality to say, I described a brown vehicle with this license plate, or maybe that was actually a green vehicle and the license plate was off by this one digit. We provide that, that evidence immediately to that officer who can say, I can now go correct that information quickly, right? We call that capability assisted narrative. And that assistive narrative capability, again, AI-driven, but saves precious time in the overall response. So across video, really automating detection through smart transcription for nine long call handling, filling out forms of various sorts, assistive narrative, that's automating the mundane. Next is accelerating analysis. So for accelerating analysis, we use this for video search capabilities and really search through any records and both the natural language understanding, the ability to translate video into language gives us the capability to rapidly answer key questions in critical moments so that people are not overwhelmed with all the data that hits them they can actually ask a question that better informs the decision that they need to make at any given moment. And the last part I will say is really protecting privacy. And AI as a tool to protect privacy is absolutely critical because quantity of information we're able to collect, especially through video, the ability to make sure that public safety professionals are able to get access to all the information that they need to be able to resolve the incident, but not necessarily violate the privacy of somebody who's uninvolved with that incident or information that is uninvolved with that incident becomes critical. So redaction, the ability to blur out faces, the blur out license plates, right. et cetera. But what this translates to is when there's freedom of information requests that come into an agency, oftentimes the thing that is the bottleneck is the manual redaction of all this data across video, across forms of various sorts, et cetera to make sure that you're not violating the privacy of any individual. There's a huge delay in offering that, that data to whoever's requesting that information if they're actually eligible to get it. And it takes a lot of time. And that time 
probably is better spent with these officers being on the field as opposed to being a, a sitting in an agency. AI helps us automate a lot of that, speed it up, and really respond to it, increases transparency from the standpoint of the public, at the same time protecting the privacy of those who are uninvolved with that incident. So in those three buckets, AI sprinkled across all three of our technology areas, mission critical communications, video security, and command center software, we're able to use AI to really compress that response time and really do it in a way where those seconds saved in each element adds up to a very significant amount in totality. Got it. So the way you're describing it, AI is the glue across your ecosystem. Yes. Plus a productivity tool for the first responders and then the public safety agencies. Is that the right way I'm thinking of it? So, so look, we talked about LMR fixed video, command and control, AI, ML. Well, let's tie it all together. Let's think in simple terms, you know, how should the layman think about all of these tools being available? You know, how should we view all these tools being available uh, to us and how, how should investors see that? I think at the end of the day, you have to think about it in terms of each of these tools supporting the successful resolution of an incident, starting mm -hmm. to finish. And that incident may start in an enterprise involving the enterprise security solutions, access control, and video, and may end with a digital evidence management solution right before the data I shared with prosecution and, and other sources. What we are doing here is really changing the calculus of incident response by bringing those pieces together. So as I mentioned before, we're not focused on changing any one element so dramatically that the folks who are using that solution now need to get retrained. There's new people who need to get hired and whatever else that needs to happen, it's disruptive to them. So we don't want to make it disruptive to our users, but at the same time, in terms of the value, in terms of the life save, we do want to make the solution itself disruptive. So that efficiency equation with AI sprinkled in uh, appropriately into each of these elements that contribute to the incident response, that's time saved also translates to resources saved for the agency. Many of the agencies that we support today are understaffed, especially post-COVID. There's a huge cost associated with training. There's a huge cost associated with data aggregation and manual integration of information across these different application silos. When you think about this from an incident-centric standpoint and you bring all these pieces together, we can increase the speed of response we can also increase the efficiency and the productivity, especially just the way you said previously. We can increase that efficiency and productivity of the agency. So where there is this notion that there is an immediate gain, that's an immediate total cost of ownership and a return on investment that is of high value to the agency itself. But more broadly for the community, it translates to better performance for first responders, for enterprise security professionals, in that they're able to do more to serve the community. So I think that is the overall vision by bringing those pieces together and the ROI elements and the life-saved elements act as the anchor points, the key metrics that in very inarguable terms speak to the value of what we have to offer. So Mahesh, I want to wrap this up with one last question, right? You talked about endpoint devices, LMRFix video, command and control, AI, ML, you know, could, could you just tie it all together with a real life example that investors can relate to? Sure. And I think we, we briefly touched on the school example, the active shooter example, and fortunately active shooter incidents have become somewhat common, unfortunately, these days. But think about all the steps that are required in the process of responding to an active shooter incident. Ideally, 
you want to be able to see that person approach the perimeter of the facility carrying a weapon. And if you look at some of the active shooter incidents that have happened over the past few years, all of them involve a long gun of some sort carried in the plain view of anybody actually looking at that individual. So the ability to visually detect using AI to say that person's carrying a weapon becomes incredibly important. What we can do with that detection is rapidly send that information for verification to make sure that it is actually a, a real threat to both people in the school premises, but also perhaps also to public safety as appropriate, school resource officers included, for them to say, oh boy, this is actually a real threat. And the moment that is verified, you want to trigger a set of responses. The activities in the access control system can be orchestrated through that detection framework where we effectively say, this person is approaching this area of the building. We want to make sure those doors are locked and nobody's given access into that area of the facility. And that lockdown can be triggered immediately. Video of that individual approaching can be sent to the real-time command center, running our command center aware software. So they see exactly what is happening. They can make sure that they're dispatching the right set of resources to the facility, whether that's a SWAT team, whether that is law enforcement, whoever's the appropriate set of folks to respond to that event, the ability for them to send the right response folks into that solution. And also make sure that with our alert solutions, our mass notification solutions, everybody in that school now will get an alert to say, hey, you need to shelter in place. We have initiated a lockdown. In addition, it is not just a mass notification solution. Each of those individuals who get that alert can actually respond with their own status to make sure if someone's injured, that information can be appropriately communicated. If people feel like they're safe in they're in, the, in this facility now, they're locked down, their doors locked, they feel safe. So the law enforcement can then focus, the responders can focus on the folks who are perhaps more at risk. That information in real time is collected and made sure that the 911 call takers, the dispatchers are aware of that information as appropriate. All that put together makes sure that the response is more informed and the response is more efficient. And once the incident has been resolved, there's a whole process of collecting evidentiary data. And that evidentiary data can also be automated where the appropriate amount of video, of other data bits from that site at the appropriate time intervals can then be archived and put into a digital evidence management solution without a lot of manual intervention so that it can actually be searched, it can be input into a report that's authored, and actually can be something that is offered as evidence during prosecution. All those pieces come together, and that is possible with this unified vision of having radio, having our video solutions, and our command central software all work in tandem. That's fantastic. So you're going from incidents to post-processing and to end. Yeah. Yes. Great. That's right. Well, we're at the end of our, our episode. Do you have any closing comments? For us, this is a very exciting thing to work on. The purpose of what we do is hugely motivating, and we are able to hire the best of the best because they are motivated to work on something that has real societal impact. And I think we have that ability to have that impact. And we can do all this. It's technology for good while producing extraordinary shareholder returns. So what isn't here to be excited about? So that, that's the excitement that I'd like to communicate back to you, I think. Thanks, Mahesh. And, and that's a wrap for today's show. Mahesh, thank you again for being on the podcast and your insights. Thanks, Richard. I enjoyed it. And, and thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, we continue to add new guests like Motorola Solutions and 
If you want to stay up to date on the Tech Disruptors podcast series, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Spotify to be alerted on the latest episode. Thanks again and bye.